Our sermon passage today uh, continues on in our sermon series in the Gospel of John, um, True and Better. Today we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses uh, 43 through 49. So John 1, 43 through 49, this is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that here in John 1, we have recorded for us this uh, encounter you had with Nathanael, the calling to him to follow after you, to be a witness of your glory, uh, to see your great deeds and your kingdom coming. Um, and thereafter, Lord, to be an apostle, to be a, a, a father of the church in the sense of, of uh, leading it in church planning and an expansion in that very first generation. So I pray in these moments as we look at this encounter that we would consider you and your grace and how it breaks down the pride that we carry in our hearts. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I love learning. I love learning. I love books. I love reading, and I love reading widely. Lots of different topics. Um, I also love trivia. So I love Trivial Pursuit games like that. I love collecting facts that I can kind of throw out here and there. And I think that's good. I think it's fun. I think it's good um, for us to to love learning. Um, but confession time. If I'm honest about that, um, part of what has driven that love for learning, that love for collecting facts in my life is that I like to uh, uh, be admired. I like to be prideful of how much I know. I like to be in my mind and especially in the mind of other people, smart guy, smartest guy in the room. If you have a question, you can go to 10. Um, it's, the, it's one of the ugliest parts of my heart, uh, honestly, and, and, and it warps that love of learning and it turns it all into a prideful thing that becomes a barrier between uh, me actually or people actually knowing me. Because there's times when that desire to be admired, that pride about my knowledge, has actually kept me from learning because I'm afraid to be seen as ignorant. I'm afraid to take the posture of a student and be taught by somebody else. And so that love for lear learning in my heart becomes warped and twisted into a pride that bars me from truly knowing people, and in its worst cases, it bars me from experiencing the grace of God. Um, in our passage today, we meet a man that's kind of like this. It's not me. <laughs> it's a man named Nathaniel, but we meet a man who has a lot of pride. He has a lot of pride built up in uh, different things, in, in cultural identity. He has a lot of pride built up in his spiritual devotion, and this man's name is Nathaniel. And uh, he's a man that, due to that pride, he stands at a distance from others. And what we see in this passage, in just these short verses, is we see his encounter with Jesus. And we see Jesus confronting this pride subtly but directly. 
we see Jesus meeting Nathaniel and meeting his heart with a new idea. Um, and Nathaniel having an invitation to open his eyes, to see the beauty and majesty of Jesus and the immeasurable riches of his grace, and to leave ideas behind of this pride, which is truly just building our identity on stuff, abandoning those false uh, senses of identity for the sure foundation of identity in the grace of God. So, uh, to help us get our mind around this passage, I've broken it up in a couple of different sections. The first one is this, the pride of Nathanael. So, let's set the scene. Jesus has just started calling in John 1 his first disciples. So, this is the very beginning of his public ministry, and he's called in the past few days uh, Andrew and an unnamed disciple, which we know is the writer of this gospel, John, as he's a younger man. Uh, he's called Simon Peter. Verse 43 picks up, and it tells us he's called another man to himself to be his disciple, Philip. Now, in verse 44, we're told that Philip, Peter, and Andrew are all from the same town, this, this town called Bethsaida, um, which literally means, if we're translating it into English, Fisher Town. It was a small town uh, built on the Sea of Galilee, that was built up entirely around the industry of, of, of fishing. Um, and Bethsaida was about 25 miles from Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus. So think uh, Fuquay to Dunn. <laughs> That's the idea. Bethsaida's Fuquay, uh, Nazareth is done. Um, so we've met Philip. We've met Philip here in verse 43, and we aren't told much about him, but we see him a few more times if we keep reading in the Gospel of John. And he seems to be a man that's especially attuned to the needs of others. Um, and we see that here, specifically in verse 45. What happens when Jesus calls him? Immediately, with Jesus calling him to follow me, Philip goes and finds his friend Nathaniel to tell him that he's found the one that Moses and all the prophets, that all the Old Testament has pointed to all this time. It's exciting for Philip. He's going to find his friend to tell him the best news he's ever heard. But when Philip finds Nathaniel, this is the first time in John's Gospel, in John 1, that Jesus is met with a sense of skepticism. We've seen John the Baptist called by God to tell everyone that Jesus is coming. We've seen John the Baptist point out to Andrew and the unnamed disciple that there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We've seen Andrew tell Simon Peter. We've seen Philip called. And, and here, when Philip comes to Nathaniel, it's the first time that uh, Jesus is met with a little bit of skepticism. In for, verse 46, notice it. Nathaniel responds with shock. So Philip comes and tells him, we found the one that all the Old Testament has pointed to. And Nathaniel responds, uh, Nazareth? Because Philip says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good, anything good, come from Nazareth? We see here some very clear cultural prejudice, some very clear cultural pride that Nathaniel had, a sense of uh, superiority in his heart. As a man from Bethsaida, from this uh, apparently bustling city there on the Sea of Galilee, he looks down on the folks that live 25 miles away in Nazareth. Now, Nathaniel, like all the other disciples here, are from Galilee. Jesus is as well. Galilee was the region where Nazareth was, where Bethsaida was. And it was a region about 75 miles north of Jerusalem. And to the people in Jerusalem, the, the biggest and most bustling uh, city there in Israel, the capital city, uh, the entire region of Galilee was kind of um, far-flung, backwoods. It was an unimportant place. 
It was a place of, uh, of you didn't find great cultural movers and shakers, great artists or, or philosophers or anything really from Galilee. And uh, this might burn a bit, <laughs> um, but it was kind of treated the way people from Raleigh would treat Harnett County or Johnston County or, or, um, uh, or Sampson County. It was looked down upon. It was, it was the butt of jokes. Galilee was not a place you took people uh, seriously if you were from, from the capital city. And like our area, like areas like this, um, Galilee was a place that rivalries had built up between different cities. And so the whole region was looked down upon by people from Jerusalem, but within the region, people from Bethsaida would look down on people from Nazareth. Again, it's like people from Fuquay looking down on people from Dunn, or people from Dunn looking down on people from Irwin, Irwin on people from Coates, or, or whatever. Uh, rivalries had built up within all these little towns. People looked down on each other, and we see it clear here in Nathaniel. And in Nathaniel's case, it's a sense of pride and superiority um, over just this town that's 25 miles away. It's a sense of pride and superiority that becomes a, a barrier to him receiving Philip's good news with joy. Philip comes to him with good news, and Nathaniel says, Wait, I can't receive this good news because can anything good, can anything good come from that place that I despise? Can anything good come from Nazareth. But it's not only cultural pride here. There also seems to be a, a kind of a spiritual superiority, a spiritual pride. Um, think of who we've met so far. We met John the Baptist, and he has this big ministry. He has these, these first followers, people that are coming to him, hearing his preaching, being baptized. And the first followers of John, uh, the, or the first followers of Jesus, come from these people who had been following after John. Um, Andrew, the unnamed disciple, Simon Peter, Philip, they had all been followers of John. They heard John's message that God's Messiah was coming, and then John pointing out that it's Jesus, and they had followed Jesus. But Nathaniel, notice where he is. His friend has to go and find him. He's not there with the crowd. And when he does, it says that Nathaniel is alone, um, and as Jesus says, under a fig tree. Now that sounds odd to us. We don't sit under fig trees in North Carolina, <laughs> but it, it points to kind of a spiritual devotion. Um, it, the idea here is that Nathaniel was far off from this crowd who he would have looked down upon as not serious. He's under this fig tree maybe uh, meditating. He's alone. He has to get away from people to practice his spirituality. And he's alone and he's praying uh, and he's detached from everybody else. Um, and... Uh, you know, maybe he just felt that he was a little bit too cultured for that. After all, something exciting, something uh, world-defining, <laughs> once in a lifetime is happening with John the Baptist just down the road. But Nathaniel, he's alone under a fig tree. He can't be bothered to mix in with these folks who are chasing after John the Baptist. So he has this great sense of pride and superiority. You know, he's certainly smarter. He's certainly more objective than these people that have followed after John, and he's definitely superior to anybody from Nazareth. But in this passage, this sense of pride that he has built up in his heart, it meets its match. It meets its match with the grace of God in Jesus. That brings us to our next point. The first one was the pride of Nathaniel. The second one is this, grace for the prideful. Grace for the prideful. First, notice 
how his friend Philip meets this cultural pride. As we've said, Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And what does Philip say? He doesn't start walking through arguments. He says this, come and see. Come and see. Philip doesn't respond with a long list of arguments. He doesn't try to outsmart Nathaniel. He doesn't yell at him because of his pride. He tells him, come and see. I think this is a lesson for us here. Um, Claims about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished, uh, they're often going to be met with skepticism and doubt. And that's okay. We shouldn't be afraid when that happens. Um, Not at all. There's a place for, and there's a place for discussion. There's a place for uh, talking through difficult topics and wrestling with them and answering questions, all of those things. But our first posture, our first posture in the face of skepticism and doubt cannot be uh, defensive, backs against the wall. They can't, we can't be, uh, our first posture can't be uh, uh, to, to go on the offensive, to knock people down. Our first posture has to be this, come and see. We can't argue anybody into the kingdom of God. It can't happen. It never has. Truly overcoming the pride that we wear in our hearts requires an encounter, an experience with the grace of Jesus. So our posture isn't argument. Our posture isn't war against people who disagree with us. Our posture is come and see. I have found the grace of God, a grace that I don't deserve. I have found the grace of God that has reshaped who I think I am. I have found a grace fitted for my need. Come and see. So notice too, um, that's his interaction with Philip. It's the first inkling of Nathaniel, even in the midst of his pride receiving grace. Well, notice his interaction with Jesus that picks up in verse 47. Jesus speaks of Nathanael as an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, Jesus isn't saying that, that Nathanael has no sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, oh, now I've found a guy I can really bank on. I think Jesus is actually here hitting at the center of who Nathanael thinks he is. He's hitting at the center of Nathanael's pride. See, Nathanael saw himself as someone who was above everyone else. He saw himself as someone who could objectively stand off from the crowd. Uh, and analyze someone who whose spirituality was a private thing, someone who is lifted above the every ordinary, uh, everyday ordinary person, someone who's certainly better again than the people from Nazareth. And so when Jesus says this, then Nathaniel kind of responds with confusion. He says, "How do you know me?" And then Jesus says that he had seen Nathaniel under that fig tree before Nathaniel had been brought to Jesus, before Philip had gone to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel plainly sees this as some kind of supernatural knowledge and that skepticism, that pride that he had worn melts away in a moment. And look what he says at verse 49. Um, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Here in this one sentence, his pride melts away and turns into an explosion of titles for Jesus. Rabbi or teacher, son of God, king of Israel. Nathaniel's pride melts away, and he sees here, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, where everything's going. He sees a picture of the beauty and majesty, the grace of Jesus, that matches and beats his pride. A grace that overwhelms the false sense of identity 
that Nathaniel had tried to build on his false superiority. And that brings, uh, that brings us to our final section here. We've seen the pride of Nathaniel. We've seen grace for the prideful in here. Grace for us. Grace for us. It's the impulse of the human heart to find something to build our identity on. Now, whether we want to admit it or not, I think that we are designed to look outside of ourselves to find our identity. We're not designed to look inwardly. Um, and, you know, and people look to different things to build their identity. They look to possessions, and so we might you know, uh, buy a collection of cars if we have enough money. We might try to find the nicest house in the nicest neighborhood, and then we have a sense of pride that we live there. Or we, even things like a, we, we might build our pride on sports accomplishments. We might build our pride on the amount of degrees that we have. We might build our pride on, uh, on thinking we're the funniest guy in the room. It, it's almost endless the number of things we can try to build our pride on. There's even people who say, I don't care what other people think about me. Well, they're building their identity on the idea that other people will see them as someone who doesn't care what they think about. <laughs> we are continuously trying to build an identity, something we can bank on, something we can turn to to say, that's who I am. We're, co- we're constantly looking, in a sense, for things to justify us. We're looking for something to justify us. And maybe that's cultural Superiority, Maybe that's a sense of spiritual superiority or superiority in knowledge or, or deeds we've done. Um, we're looking for some sort of validation. Um, but here's the thing. None of these things, cultural identity, superiority uh, spiritually or, or knowledge or any of those things, none of those things can bear the weight of our identity. They're going to collapse. They're going to fall apart. We can't build our identity on those things because they don't last. They never last. We can try to build our identity on the back of this or that, but it's going to fall short. Eventually, it's just going to fall apart. And our pride, in whatever it may be, will cut us off. It becomes a barrier. Not only a barrier to true relationships with other people or a barrier to us being known to even ourselves, it becomes a barrier for us to receive the grace of God because we close ourselves off from being pointed to Him and receiving grace from Him, which is what we were designed to do. We were designed to find our identity in the the God who created all things. We were designed to build our identity on grace received from Him in this relationship with Him, being reconciled in right relationship with Him. This is what we were designed for. So our invitation this morning from this passage is to, like Nathaniel, have our pride melted and cast away, to cast off these ideas of superiority in whatever they may be, these false senses of identity, to throw those away and to throw ourselves onto the sure grace of God, to throw ourselves onto the sure grace of God in Jesus Christ because we cannot build an identity on our own and we were never supposed to. But He can bear the weight of our identity. God can. And so we can come to Him. We can be defined by Him. We talked about this in the sermon last week with the naming of Peter. With Peter, uh, we, we can build our identity on who God says we are. He's the creator of all things. And so we listen to Him. But we can't hold on to our pride. We can't hold on to these senses of superiority. 
whether they be racial superiority, white supremacy, that cannot bear the weight of our identity. Whether that be uh, cultural superiority, we look down on other people for not being American or not being this or that, that cannot bear the weight of our identity. Or intellectual superiority, we look down on other people for not being as smart as we are, that cannot bear the weight of our identity. It will collapse like a house of cards because that's what it is. As Scripture says, God resists the proud. And that's not a category we want to be in. God resists the proud. But hear this. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. So as we come to Him with open hands, not clutching, not clutching the things we try to build our identity on, but with open hands, we are ready to receive His grace. Always receive His grace. And we remain in that posture of receiving His grace, allowing Him to identify us. We are who he says we are. So let's come to him in humility today, uh, individually and together. Whether that be for the first time, maybe we're coming to him for the very first time in our humility and being honest about ourselves. Or maybe we're coming to him for the thousandth time. Whatever it may be, let's come to him in humility and find the grace that we need for right now. Um, the grace that he's ready to give to us. Let's find in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead a place to build our lives. Let's find the validation there that we need. Because Scripture says that in Christ by faith, we are counted as righteous in Him. So we don't have to work. We don't have to look to these places that cannot satisfy. We can look to Him and He can define who we are and we can build our lives on that sure foundation. And let's find this morning a love that will not let us go but a love that will see us through. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this invitation that we have uh, through John 1, and that you're moving by your Holy Spirit now to invite our hearts to open ourselves up to you, to put away the things that we so often uh, go to to build our identity, no matter what they may be, and to come to you and to find in you the grace that we need. Break our pride, Lord, we pray. Break our pride because it will do nothing but uh, let us down and eat us up. But in our humility, God, give us grace. We come to you because you've promised to give it to us. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's respond in song.